As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Bennett Kelly. Thanks for listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. Before you take a recess to hear the latest internet law news and commentary, you are hereby ordered to download the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app for iPhone and Android. Okay, maybe not ordered, but why not? You can listen live to my show and all our show hosts every day on our live stream or download past episodes with ease. So download the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app in the iTunes store or in the Google Play store. It's an open and shut case. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Um, good morning and welcome to Cyber Law and Business Report. This is your host, Bennett Kelly, broadcasting live from Silicon Beach here at the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica, California. Um, please be seated. We're glad you're with us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to be talking about some very hot topics. Um, we're starting off with um, the, the latest developments with Bitcoin and all the um, hullabaloo with the um, the collapse of some of the exchanges and um, what should the legal approach be to Bitcoin and, and what exactly is Bitcoin even? And um, for starters, and so um, in the second half hour, we're going to talk a little bit about the latest developments with ICANN. And um, so we are um, have with us right now um, from um, Pace University School of Law, we have Professor David Cohen. And uh, Professor Cohen um, actually is a, um, a Canadian and American lawyer. He studied at both um, Yale and um, University of Toronto and University, um, studied at McGill undergrad um, and has written on both American and Canadian law. Um, and this, this issue kind of falls at the intersection of his expertise in both international and commercial law. So welcome. With, I'm glad to have you, Professor. Uh, good morning, Bennett. I'm very pleased to be here. 
Now, um, the, the the Bitcoin. How how do you for for people who are unacquainted with Bitcoin? How how do you introduce it to them? Um, with with some degree of difficulty because um, it's it's unique um, and there's no analogy that one can easily draw uh, to existing phenomena that people are familiar with. But I'll try. Um, what a Bitcoin is is simply a code, uh, a, a series of zeros and ones, um, in a file, in a folder in your computer. Uh, nothing more than that. Uh, it doesn't exist, obviously, in any physical reality. Uh, but it's it's uh, when once one downloads uh, the client software, the Bitcoin client software, one can. Uh, receive a, this a, a file, a Bitcoin, um, which will automatically uh, be saved in a folder, which is referred to as a wallet, in your computer, in your usually a hard drive. Uh, it can be stored offline or online, depending upon how um, insecure one is about firewalls and so on. Um, uh, but that's all it is, and then one can send that file to a uh, another person or a retailer um, who will receive it as a file um, in a, their wallet, their folder, in uh, their computer. Um, you can use an exchange, uh, which simplifies uh, the system somewhat for individuals who are not technically proficient, but um, that's what a Bitcoin is. And it turns out people are willing to pay you for that file uh, and or receive it as payment for for goods or services. Now, a, a, a Bitcoin is the Bitcoin is one brand of of what is generally known as, I guess, cryptocurrencies. Is that the correct term? Well, there's really no correct term. There's e-currencies. There's uh, um, uh, cryptocurrencies. There's uh, I refer them as um, decentralized virtual currencies. Uh, that's my terminology, and others are kind of picking up on that. Um, it's it's virtual. It's obviously not physical, um, and it's decentralized, which is a key element in this um, in this area. There's no. Um, no one issues, um, no uh, entity issues the currency. It's, it's uh, originally issued through a software program um, and then traded. Uh, and and uh, one doesn't uh, engage any um, bank or financial institution um, in uh, acquiring the Bitcoin or in transferring it, um, which is a significant difference from other forms of virtual payment systems like your bank uh, payment systems or PayPal, etc. Now, you know, currently there are five um, virtual currencies that have market caps in excess of $50 million, um, for virtual currencies that actually do volume of over a million. And of those currencies, obviously Bitcoin is the, the dominant one, correct? That's right. Bitcoin was a classic first mover um, in this field. Um, there are others. Uh, I, I wouldn't predict whether um, one uh, of those might in the long run be the dominant uh, decentralized virtual currency. Uh, but Bitcoin certainly was the first and is clearly the most significant both in terms of the volume 
of users, people who've downloaded um, uh, the Bitcoin uh, software protocol, or the number of transactions, or the market cap of the of the total amount of Bitcoins or currency out there. It's interesting. I was looking at some of the history of Bitcoin. Bitcoin's only been around since 2009. And the, the very first um, Bitcoin transaction was in um, 2010. Someone paid 10,000 Bitcoin um, for pizza. And apparently, uh, at the current exchange rate, that would be worth eight million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, sell, the seller of the of the pizza, if they kept those, if they kept the payment in in um, in bitcoins, um, is very happy. Um, that's right. It's 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 a, a, a new phenomenon. It the paper that um, articulated the idea. Uh, everyone knows um, uh, about Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever that might be or they might be, right. was published in 2009. The, the phenomenon really was dormant for you know, four years, roughly, uh, three years, and then people started to use it and uh, use this uh, virtual currency as payment um, or to transfer money. And it's become increasingly valuable. I think it peaked in December 2013 at about $1,200. I think the last time I looked, it was trading at $570 odd dollars. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, yeah, it's today. just under 600. Yeah, just under 600. Um, and uh, it's it, you know, if one reads that first paper, I think that's important. If people are interested in this idea. Um, one should read that paper, which is online. It, it's, it's accessible. Um, the, the technical um, side of the paper is probably beyond uh, uh, the uh, comprehensibility of, of many readers. But the introduction is, is, is quite useful because it explains what the writer of the paper um, had in mind in developing this software. Now, the... Um Bitcoin has this concept of mining that right. you, obviously you can get Bitcoins by buying them, but there's also this thing of mining that you, right. you perform certain um, complex computer um, programming um, service and you get um, coins in return. How, how, do you, right. how do you translate that? Um, that's, uh, that's a very good question. Um, you're asking, um, how are Bitcoins, um, issued? And, and here's, um, I'll, I'll explain it, but there's a bit of background unnecessary to understand what this mining activity is and why people engage in it, etc. Um, what the, what the, uh, digital, uh, sorry, decentralized virtual currency idea is, is that, um, one might be able to uh, develop a software system um, whereby I could transfer money, let's transfer an asset, uh, the currency, to you without having to go through what is referred to as a trusted intermediary. Most uh, times, uh, in, on, in, in most situations where people make payments, the person receiving the payment is concerned about two things. They're concerned that the, the currency is, is not counterfeit, that, it, that it re it's real, yeah. um, it's not made up, and secondly, that it hasn't already been spent. Because if it's already been spent, the recipient isn't going to get it. And so 
uh, most uh, until you know for hundreds of years, the way to assure that the payment wasn't counterfeit and hadn't already been spent um, was to use uh, an intermediary, a bank, uh, or PayPal, or any other intermediary who would assure to the recipient um, that those two aspects um, exist. The money was real and uh, it hadn't already been spent. And what the paper in 2009 purported to, to do was to say, look, we don't need a trusted intermediary. We can use a software system to assure the recipient that the money is real and hasn't been spent. And therefore you eliminate the need for that, for the bank, for the financial institution. And how that works is when a, uh, a person who has a uh, Bitcoin, I use the word Bitcoin rather than the decentralized virtual currency, but the idea applies to all of the, the DVCs. Okay. Um, when, when the sender sends the uh, payment, the, the Bitcoin out, um, it goes out to the world. Anyone can see that uh, that uh, signal that the uh, this purported Bitcoin has been sent from a wallet and is going to a recipient's wallet. And there are individuals that we will refer to as miners who are engaged in a process of confirming that, in fact, that Bitcoin hasn't been spent and it's real. And that's what that complicated, turns out relatively expensive system of, of hardware and software engaged in by the miners does. And the first miner who demonstrates um, that the Bitcoin hasn't been spent and isn't counterfeit gets issued Bitcoins. That's why they do it. That's their payment. And the software issues them the Bitcoin. So the transaction's public. Now, no one knows the identity of the sender. All they have is a wallet address. Right. And no one knows the identity of the recipient because all they have is a wallet address. But they can confirm to the recipient that the transaction is valid. Uh, and that's very important. But you're not using a trusted intermediary. You're not using a bank. The software does that. Um, engage them by the miners, so-called miners. And they get issued bitcoins. They used to be issued... Um, I believe 50 bitcoins uh, for engaging in this validation activity. Um, it, and, and then the software uh, is designed to reduce the amount of the payment incrementally over time until the total number of bitcoins in the universe, according to the software, 21 million, is reached. And so there's an incentive for miners to engage in this activity because of that issuance of bitcoin as a payment. Why use bitcoin? Why use it? That's really good. And that's, that's a critical question. And the answer is, is important because if no one uses it, it's not going to be successful. Um, there's reason, there's, there's um, a number of reasons to use it. Um, over, for example, s sending an electronic payment through your banking system or using uh, a private sector payment system like, like, uh, like PayPal. Um, one is, is that it's, it's you know, pseudo-anonymous. Not, it's not an anonymous uh, payment system entirely because the payment, as I described, the transfer is, 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 part, is, is in the public realm. It's part of what's referred to as the blockchain. Every Bitcoin transfer 
is 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 noted publicly, mm. but it's private in the sense that the res- that the sender um, doesn't know necessarily who the recipient is, and the recipient doesn't necessarily know who the sender is, and there's nobody in between who knows who the recipient or sender is. So in that sense, it's significantly uh, generates more privacy than using a bank payment system. Um, so that's one benefit, some degree of uh, privacy or anonymity. Um, the second reason is that because you're not using a trusted intermediary, uh, whether a bank or other entity, um, there's no transaction fee in that transfer. And that's an extraordinary benefit. Um, the recipient, if it's a merchant, doesn't have to pay a private sector intermediary like a credit card uh, syndicate like MasterCard or right. Giza doesn't have to pay them anything. Um, the sender doesn't have to pay anybody anything. And that reduction in transaction costs um, can generate over you know, thousands of transactions, literally billions of dollars in savings. Um, and, and that's become very significant in the, in the, in what's referred to as international remittances. When people are sending money from say they're workers in a developed country right. like France uh, or America, and they're sending money back to their families in less developed uh, economies. Um, the, 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 the average transaction fee charged by money transmitters engaged in that activity is 10% of the amount being transferred. Um, and that can be avoided using digital, you know, decentralized virtual currencies or bitcoins. Second major benefit. There are other benefits I could go on, but those two, the, the privacy idea and the elimination and this, this of the transactions are especially important. The downside to that, this obviously would be twofold. One, obviously, um, the privacy um, can be used for can be sought for because it's an improper transaction. And we, yeah. we saw that this was being used extensively with Silk Road. But um, yeah. even putting Silk Road aside, um, one of the um, concurrent aspects of the um, the current payments processing system it are, are certain um, security standards. Um, right. You know, in, in terms of processing the data. And what you know, is there any evidence that there's a, a concurrent or parallel security commitment in the virtual um, currency system? Well, the answer is um, yes and no. Um, if, if the transaction is purely private in the way I described, that yes. transfer of a Bitcoin from person A to person B, and that's all, uh, then... Um, there's really no security issue. The security issue arises because the sender is storing its code, its Bitcoin, in, 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 its, in her computer. The recipient is storing um, their Bitcoins in their computer, and those computers can be accessed, hacked, um, by individuals who have the technological skills to do that. Um, and that's happened. And most, um, I mean, there's two, there's two responses. One is the advice, don't keep your wallet, your file, the file in which your Bitcoins are stored. Don't keep them uh, online. Uh, 
uh, keep them offline, um, and then they can't be hacked. I mean, that's one response. Um, but but there's another. The, the concern you're speaking of is real, and it essentially relates to um, situations where the senders and receivers are using exchanges. When you're buying a Bitcoin um, from an exchange and you're leaving your Bitcoins in a wallet in the exchange, uh, and then and, and those exchanges can hold literally hundreds of thousands of Bitcoins in wallets on behalf of the owners. And those are, that's where the security issue is, is very serious because if the exchanges um, are breached, that's when the Bitcoins, quote, are stolen, right? And, They're lost. And that's what's put Bitcoin on the front page of Newsweek and all these other magazines um, because of Mount, Mount Gox, the, the exchange which <laughs> handles 70% of all Bitcoin transactions has been hacked. And in fact, um, they claim to have lost about 7% of all Bitcoins in circulation um, and, have, and shut down. They were a, they went, they filed for bankruptcy. Uh, yes. Um, and they were, they were a major exchange. Um, they, you know, that's one of the, I mean, again, I'll, I'll preface what I'm going to say by saying one doesn't have to use an exchange. It's sure. just that it's easy to use an exchange. Easier than, than engaging in, in purely bilateral private. Uh, relationships involving these currencies. Um, but the exchanges are the weak link. There was a terrific paper written last year by two professors um, uh, about uh, these exchanges, and they looked at all the exchanges that they could locate, identify, that existed between 2010, 9, and, two, and January 2013. And they identified about 40 exchanges. Um, uh, that had existed during that period. And they discovered that 45% of those exchanges had disappeared. Wow. Uh, that is a failure rate, which je je I, I think confirms that there really is a security issue if one is using exchanges. And that's where I think one's going to see a significant amount of government regulation. The one's already seen uh, some regulation um, by the Treasury Department, uh, the FinCEN, Financial Crimes Enforcement uh, Network, that requires exchanges to register with FinCEN because they, FinCEN's concerned about money laundering. So there's some regulation already. And a lot of the states um, are now moving to regulate uh, the exchanges as money transmitters uh, the current money transmitter legislation that regulates, say, Western Union, really doesn't apply in most cases to these exchanges because they're not engaged in exchanging money. They're, they're engaged in exchanging this decentralized virtual currency. And, and what we're going to see, New York is moving very rapidly um, in this area, is to create uh, a regulatory framework to, to generate the security that you refer to um, in respect of these exchanges. Um, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking to Professor Cohen about the regulatory efforts and the future of Bitcoin after these messages. You're listening to Cyberlaw Business Report on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Oh yeah, my day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org. 
Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With certified knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back. Um, we're talking with um, Professor David Cohen from Pace University and School of Law in White Plains, New York. Um, um, one of the famous alums is uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. And uh, we're talking about the Bitcoin, and you've probably seen it on the cover of Newsweek and a number of other magazines. And um, with this whole scandal involving Mt. Gox and you know the collapse of the, that exchange, it is what is the viability of Bitcoin going forward? And um, is is it going to affect the viability of virtual currencies in general? That is an, uh, a prediction that I hesitate to make. Uh, there are two schools. One believes that this is a um, temporary mania that is going to disappear um, relatively in, in the relatively short term. Um, uh, the analogy is to the tulip bubble in the Netherlands um, hundreds of years ago when people, for some reason, were spending huge amounts of money to buy tulip bulbs, um, and then the, that market collapsed. Um, there's that uh, school. There's another school that says there are some real value in this idea of a virtual currency and a virtual payment system, um, and it will um, incrementally um, grow. Uh, there will be regulation. I think everyone expects there will be regulation, which will reduce to some degree uh, the, the benefits of, of virtual currencies over real or fiat currencies. Um, but, uh, and it will grow incrementally. The price will stabilize. Um, the, os- the wild oscillations that we've seen over the past year will ameliorate over time. Um, and that it will become 
a um, an additional way in which people can transfer wealth. Um, I'm in the second school. I think that um, over time, the benefits of uh, this uh, idea, the system, um, outweigh the risks. And there are real risks, obviously. One of which is is the loss of your Bitcoin um, right. through what. Uh, but but I, I believe there's a, there's a long term future. And um, what about in terms of in, in Bitcoin as as a, it's, as a brand? Because I understand that um, was it Doge Dogecoin has just taken off overnight um, and and achieved what Bitcoin in a hundred days achieved what Bitcoin did in a thousand days. Um, yeah, in terms of which of these uh, which of these virtual currencies will over the medium or long term prevail um that's a difficult prediction uh uh it's you know people say that bitcoin might become uh, the myspace of virtual currencies Uh, (laughs) and that could be true i don't know i think um the uh people engaged in the various bitcoin uh models uh, sorry uh, uh, digital currency models um, are thinking about this, and I think the the uh, the individuals who recognize that that um, uh, providing some security uh, um, is an advantage rather than a cost uh, will uh, will prevail. Um, there are entities now developing um, insurance for the loss of bitcoins. Um, analogous to the FDIC insurance over bank right. deposits, but not run by the state, obviously, run by private sector insurers. Um, there are uh, individuals offering you know, vaults uh, for Bitcoins to provide security, uh, obviously for a fee, uh, but that will, um, I think, enhance the value of of the of the currencies, um, and I, I think that at the beginning, the um, sort of libertarian anti-state um, anonymity group um, was dominant, and I think as as uh, the industry has matured, um, people still value privacy and value the fact that this currency isn't issued um, by the state and there's a fixed amount um, of, of, the, of the currency that, that is going to exist. Um, and the transaction, the elimination of transaction costs is valuable. But they also realize that providing as, uh, enhanced protection um, to the users is also valuable. And we'll see that model, that latter model, I think, prevail. Now, um, you know, there actually are some countries like Iceland um, that are issuing virtual currencies. What is that about? Um, I haven't heard about Iceland. Um, I think that's an interesting idea. Uh, It obviously um, doesn't uh, generate uh, or provide the privacy benefits. Um, it doesn't provide the fixed quantity benefits um, that the the private uh, virtual currencies do. I mean, in, in Iceland, I don't think would have said I'm, we're only going to issue X million of this currency, and that's what the at least the Bitcoin right. uh, software uh, does. Um, uh, but it 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 I think that tells us that there are uh, established 
uh, entities, governments, and I assume this we'll see the private sector moving in as well, recognizing that the reduction in transaction costs, not having to use a trusted intermediary to engage in these transactions, is very, very valuable. Uh, and and uh, it, it could be a government, it could be a bank uh, deciding that you know, they'll uh, create this system and, and reduce transaction fees. Now, uh, now we, only have, we only have a few minutes left. Now, you, you, with your unique expertise of you know, having practiced law on both sides of the 49th parallel, um, I noticed that there's already been ATMs issuing um, Bitcoins in, in Canada. And right. um, is, is there a difference in the regulatory approach towards Bitcoins between the U.S. and Canada? Um, yeah, yeah, there is. I mean, in fact, there's a difference across um, all the countries that have looked at this. Uh, major, some, some countries have effectively criminalized uh, the use of digital currency. Thank you very much. It's been very insightful. Um, we'll have more information on Bitcoin on our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress. And we'll also have a link to um, Professor Cohen's um, background at um, Pace in upstate New York. And um, I want to thank you again and uh, um, hope winter is being kind to you out there today um, as we sit warmly here in Southern California. Our next guest is um, Professor Michael Frubkin. He is the Laurie Silvers and Mitchell Rubenstein Distinguished Professor of Law at the University of Miami Law School. And um, he's uh, going to talk to us today about the recent decision of the Obama administration to um, globalize ICANN. And uh, Professor Frumkin is going to tell us about what a monumental decision this is. And are you with us, Professor? I'm here. And uh, thanks for us, and um, I hope everything's well in Coral Gables. Weather is lovely as usual. And um, so, um, in a nutshell, ICANN, we've had actually the ICANN General Counsel on um, to speak about the the domain name expansion. And so we've talked a little bit about ICANN, but but in a nutshell, how explain ICANN's relationship with the U.S. government? ICANN is an unusual beast in some ways, but in law, it's really quite simple. It's a private, non-profit California corporation. That's its legal status. It's non-governmental. It has two things that make it slightly different. One is it has a relationship with the U.S. government in which it starts a bunch of functions at the U.S. government's request. Um, And second, it has a thing called the GAC, the Government Advisory Committee, in which a very large number of the world's governments give ICANN advice and to some extent have some agenda-setting functions regarding the ICANN board. So it's not as uh, purely private as it could be, although it's still much more private than the U.S. government. It also has this international component. Now, it's important to understand that um, back 15 years ago when ICANN was established, the U.S. government had quite a lot of control, at least potentially, over ICANN, although they did not tend to exercise that control in any formal manner. And gradually over the years... The U.S. has been in a process of withdrawing from control over ICANN. And phase one of that process culminated about two years ago in something called the Affirmation of Commitments, which was sort of joint statements by the U.S. and by ICANN about what their relationship was going to be like in the future. And basically, the U.S. at that point got out of the ICANN business, except for one thing. 
And that one thing, and I'm sorry about the acronym Sue, but that one thing was the IANA function. That's I-A-N-A. Right. Signed, the numbers authority. And the U.S. still kept its hand in that. And what IANA does a bunch of stuff that reflects that the controls piece of Internet plumbing, the one that's probably most interesting to talk about is IANA is responsible for approving and for ordering changes in the content, key content of the root, not new TLDs. That's an ICANN function that you let's get out of. Mm-hmm. But for existing TLDs, who controls them? And and so the announcement by the Obama administration had what effect? What's the impact? So, of the so what's been happening the past few months? And this is actually strangely a result of Snowden in a way. Is that our partners around the world, both friends and less friends, took advantage of the Snowden um, revelations to say, "Hey, we got to get the U.S. out of the internet," which is something they've been wanting all along. And they didn't like the fact that the U.S. still had this hold on this one last important Internet function, because, of course, the Internet is so important to just about every country in the world today. So they were using this as leverage to force the U.S. to make good on the promise made 15 years ago that it was going to get out of this completely. Um, and surprising most people, right, about 10 days ago, the U.S. announced that it now wants to initiate a process to get itself out of the IANA function as well. Now, what that process will look like was not specified in any particular detail by the U.S., Various people who think the answer to the process should be, I get to do it, immediately jumped up and down and started creating processes that would lead to the answer they wanted, right? So ICANN thinks the answer is ICANN should do it. The ITU, sorry, another acronym, uh, you know, thinks that the, the ITU should do it. Um, and then there are a lot of other people who think that neither should do it. And interestingly, the U.S. government is probably in that group. So and, what and- we're looking at, more, sorry, go ahead. No, and and just for, for context, you know, we spoke about a year and a half ago on the show about the the ITU conference that occurred and how there was an effort of the um, you know that the IT, that conference in um, Dubai to try to exert greater control over the internet, and uh, you know the the meeting ended up deadlocked with the U.S. trying to exercise a veto over that, and so. Um, but the people who were on the side of greater ITU control were, by and large, um, censoring states. Well, it's a little more complicated than that. I mean, part of what happens is different people inside the governments of various countries go to ITU meetings than go to ICANN meetings. So if you're a bureaucrat trying to expand your control, you know, your power and influence domestically, and you, you have the ITU portfolio, you want the ITU to do more at the expense of the guy down the hall. Right. Um, so there's an element of that as well. But yeah, there is the ITU is one is um, primarily a consensus driven organization, but to the extent it's not, it's one state, one vote. So, you know, size, power, internet influence, democracy, not democracy, none of that matters. Right. We have as much say as Sierra Leone. In principle. Not in reality, <laughs> but in principle. Um ICANN claims to be organized under what they call a multi-stakeholder model, right? which means different things in different mouths. In practice, it's meant an outside voice for corporations and governments that take the time to work through the system. Um, so it's, not a, you know, it's certainly not a democracy exactly system either. ICANN on the whole, at least until recently, the new management is a little bit more willing to flex its muscles. But historically, ICANN has actually been relatively restrained 
in terms of flexing its power. It's protected trademark interests, but has wisely stayed out of censorship free speech issues on the whole. The one sure. place where it's, it's any of that has been blocking controversial domain, uh, top level domain names. Yeah, being here in Los Angeles, you, you see a little bit, I mean, you know, you can see the, the growth of ICANN and the internationalization of ICANN. Uh, one that recently just moved into new headquarters out of, you know, kind of the, a drab Marina del Rey location. To, well, they're rolling know, in dough now. Yes, and because of the GTLDs. And, um, and so they have nice headquarters, but they're also in, they're expanding internationally. They're really creating an international presence. They're hiring internationally, and so they're really trying to make themselves less of a U.S. Do? body. I wish I knew. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot. You know, they, obviously they have a lot. The uh, you know the um, GTLD evaluation process must be quite time you know time consuming. Well, they set but, it up in such a way that it certainly costs an awful lot of money. It does. Whether we got value for that is a different question, but um, but that but that's not what you wanted me to talk. So, so sure. You know, so the people people are getting very excited about this U.S. giving up control of the internet, U.S. losing the internet thing. I, I guess I got two things to say. The first is U.S. already gave up a lot of the control it had. That happened two years ago. The thing that's left is significant, but mostly as a way to stop an ICANN that got out of control. Right. The power that's left is mostly the power to, you know, like a circuit breaker. It really has no military value that I can detect whatsoever, for example. Some people talk about that. I think they're completely mistaken. So let's, um, let's take President Clinton's statement, for example. Mm -hmm. um, I'll read it for, for the listeners. But, um, you know, he was asked at a recent um, Clinton Foundation event about um, what his view of the Obama administration's decision, and you know, you know, you can probably read this as a clear sign that Hillary's running, and uh, President Clinton wants to keep her options open. But he said uh, um, he didn't favor it because, quote, a lot of people who've been trying to take this authority from the U.S. for the sole purpose of cracking down on internet freedom and limiting it, and having governments protect their backsides instead of empowering the people. Um, Clinton said during a panel discussion sponsored by the Clinton Global Initiative. Um, would this really have any impact on the ability of, of governments to censor? Well, that's a little hard to answer because we don't know what kind of body's going to get this. True. All right. So a lot of it, the first thing is it would depend entirely on what was the kind of body that they were going to give this power to. And the U.S. government, since it made that statement 10 years ago, 10 days ago, sorry, has made you know, some statements that suggest that it's, it's not planning to give it up to just anybody. It wants a good recipient to be created. Um, so, you know, th that's the first firebreak. The second firebreak is there's a pretty limited number of levers you can pull here, right? The IANA function doesn't give you that fine-grained control over what you and I do on the Internet. It could be leveraged to if you tried really hard to impose conditions on the people who give out domain names. Although you have to do that by one remove, right? Because IANA has a relationship with the people who control top-level domains, like .com, .net. Um, so you, what IANA would have to do to control you or me is tell the people who control .com and .net to impose a rule on the people who sell us domain names, or whose domain names we use, 
um, and have them impose a rule on us. So it'd be a double derivative by the time it got to us. That's pretty tough to engineer. What's more, it would have to be not so draconian that we wouldn't go and build an alternate system. Because the internet has open standards, and it is possible to create alternates. It's just they're not very interesting to use if nobody else is using them. Um, so I am, I'm somewhat, you know, um, to use this to oppress is tough. I mean, I actually think there's more chances this will be used to try to impose some sort of copyright um, protective rules. There's oh. more of a global consensus between the democracies and the non-democracies that, you know, copyright infringement is bad. So if you ask me what's the most likely use somebody would try to make of this, I'm not sure it would be successful. There's some doubts it would be successful. It would be to protect copyright. Well, you're talking, we're talking to Professor Frumkin about the ICANN um, administration's decision to relinquish, so to speak, U.S. control over ICANN and at least relinquish its historic role. Um, and we're going to be talking to him further about that after these short messages. You're listening to Cyberlawn Business Report on Webmaster Radio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is authoritylabs.com. There are many things we would love to catch. Catching the final out of a baseball game. And that's the ball game. Reeling that big catch of the day. Or catching a ride home. Taxi! How about catching more attention like the biggest retail brands on earth? Introducing Catchy.com, where they sell short branded attractive.com domain names. Use a short and catchy brand just like Sony, Visa, and Nike for your next business venture. You can even rent to own for as low as $100 a month. Catch a big break for your business with Catchy.com. Guys, are you suffering from FD, fulfillment dysfunction? Let MoldingBox.com's online portal system for inventory, tracking, and returns perform for you. We have the enormous tools you need for complete warehousing, shipping, and handling of all your packages, no matter the size or shape, directly to your customers. MoldingBox.com can also fulfill all your nourishing, nutraceutical, and smooth skincare product desires, including green coffee and Garcinia on demand. Plus, let our in-house printing and CD DVD manufacturing help you enlarge and maximize your coaching and business opportunity potential. We do everything. Fulfillment, shipping, tracking, inside and out, and all in one place. Moldingbox.com. It's shipping made sexy. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and we're talking to Professor Frumkin. He's the uh, Laurie Silvers and Mitchell Rubenstein Distinguished Professor of Law at University of Miami. And um, we've actually talked about some of the University of Miami faculty in other shows. Um, We've talked about... um, 
Marianne Franks and some of her work and and um, revenge porn. Although we actually haven't had a chance to talk to her yet, but uh, so it's a very distinguished school you, you're coming from, um, Professor. I'm really glad to have you. And so things are starting to develop and move forward with the ICANN um, movement by the administration. And already we're starting to see some opposition. We talked just before the break about President Clinton. But it, it seems, and, and I know you uh, you may have been overseas at the time, but it seems almost analogous to when the United States decided to give up control over the Panama Canal, that it was seen as you know almost like an and the British giving up their empire, and um, President Boy, Reagan. That's an exaggeration. Um, <laughs> definitely, if, I, I can see that. But I mean, President Reagan made it. I mean, well, gov- then Governor Reagan made it a rallying cry for his campaign, and um, it be- became a whipping boy for the right. What, what is it the U.S. is giving up here? I mean, keep in mind, I'm not necessarily in favor of a change to the status quo if it ends up in the hands of somebody who's going to be useless or irresponsible. Sure. But, you know, but people ought to calm down about this just a bit. Um, I mean, what is it exactly that's being given away here? The United States does not own the Internet. Right? The Internet is a set of common standards that allow machines to talk to each other. And they're part of the common heritage of mankind right now. They're open standards. Right? So well, the Internet belongs to everybody already. You can't give it away because you don't have it. Well, I mean, um, it's, it's being said by such Internet scholars as Pat Buchanan. <laughs> There's a sentence I never heard before. <laughs> um, but no, I, I understand. There is it's a lot of their opposition is reflexive, and yeah. um, but I guess let me do the, the reverse question: Could the U.S. keep it? There is no legal impediment to the U.S. keeping it. It no, wouldn't be 100 percent in keeping with promises they made 15 years ago. Um, but and there may be political considerations. I think the U.S. is getting a lot of pressure in response to this NSA stuff and figured this was the cheapest thing it could do to buy off some of the critics abroad because um, they're not going to stop spying on them. So, and this doesn't, in fact, affect our ability to spy on anybody. Right? So they're so, giving away something which has no intelligence value at all. Which also can be said about the opposition. But um, the... Um in, in terms of the NSA, would we be having this conversation had there not been a Snowden? I don't think we'd be having it now. This has been on the wish list for, you know, our, our, the, the EU and Japan and Brazil and India and a bunch of our friends around the world, as well as people who are not our friends. Um, so this has been something that has been sort of a smoldering issue. And it would probably have burst someday. I don't think now would have been the moment. So it accelerated something very significantly that would probably have happened way down the road. So if, if President Obama had called you before making the decision, what would you have told him? I would have said that um, you need to be – first of all, if it was up to me, right, and I'm not sure that you know, anybody would be crazy enough to make it up to me um, – I would have a rule, an end state in which these functions were controlled by some club of democracies or a rotating group of democracies. I don't think at the end of the day having despots be in charge of the fail-safe for ICANN is a good idea. Um, so, you know, the simplest thing, for me, would just be give it to Canada. Everybody likes the Canadians. <laughs> they got good rules. They'll, they'll do it cheaply and efficiently and fairly, and everybody will be happy. And they That's have manners. Not. 
is probably not you know, feasible internationally, but that would actually be a great end state for everybody. So the question is, how can you create an international organization of some kind that simulates Canada um, or have a club of democracies? I don't, you know, I suspect that it would be politically costly for the U.S. to discriminate against countries that weren't democracies or to have, you know, some sort of litmus test for who gets to be in and out. Although I'd point out to you, the EU has been managing to do that quite successfully. Um, but, you know, that's what you'd really want to have, a situation in which the voices of countries which don't have free speech at heart have no role in this. Not, not because it's obvious how they're going to misuse the power, partly for symbolic value, and partly because if I, you know, the, the reason this power really matters is if somehow ICANN goes crazy, it gets captured by some group, you know, pick, in your, pick your favorite bo- bogeyman, communist, Scientologist, whatever it might be, you know, then you want to have a fail-safe. And that's what this was more than anything else. And and so, in the likelihood of those boogeymen happening, um, and, Fortunately and, low. and and requiring and it, depending on us exercising solely that uh, bit of authority and not, and no, none other. Um, well, it, it again, seems- that, that that that's I'm talking here about the most high profile thing Iana does. Iana also has some protocol parameter functions that have to do with the sort of smooth functioning of the internet. Mm-hmm. Those are much more ministerial and clerical and less controversial. So you could spin those off to somebody, to some, you know, you could break it up. But there isn't any particular reason why all the things that Anna does now have to be done by the same people. And the the operative word in this change is transition. It well, is not, to, it's a process, right? I mean, all that happened 10 days ago is the U.S. said, we're now open to doing this. Produce a system that we can accept for doing this. It challenged the world to do that, and the world is now trying to do that. It didn't sign anything. It didn't actually hand over anything. It merely signaled its willingness to abide by the results of a process if it thought those results were reasonable. Now, um, we have the upcoming conference in Brazil. Is it likely that we'll have better definition of what that might be, or is this going to be something? ICANN's view of what it ought to be. ICANN's clearly pulling out all the stops to come quickly with a proposal in the hopes, I think, of you know, being first and occupying the sort of, you know, the ground. And ICANN but, has three meetings a year, and one of them is started. Right, they have a big infrastructure Monday. that makes it easy yeah. for them to do these proposals. They're in but, Singapore you know, in fact, right they, now. they were trying to do stuff on Monday, uh, this coming meeting, but, you know, to the extent that you even want to have a fig leaf of consultation, there's absolutely no way you can do it by Monday. Right? The people right. who are going, who were not expecting to discuss this, cannot even pretend to consult their members. Now, Professor Funko, we only have a few minutes left. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Internet program you guys have at the University of Miami? It seems to be quite impressive. Well, that's kind of you. Um, we have a bunch of courses we teach. I teach on Internet law, for example. We have a bunch of courses on related subjects like international copyright, regular copyright, patent, and so on. Um, we don't give a degree in Internet law, and I think that's a good thing, by the way. I don't think, that, I don't think that's the sort of thing there ought to be a degree about. But oh, as an LLM, you mean? We don't do that, No. And there's a reason for that. Um, if you look at the, I've been teaching internet law since the mid '90s, and if you look at the development of the subject, it's very clear that more and more internet law is now a subspecialty of something else rather than a subject of its own. So I stopped teaching e-commerce ten years ago because it became commerce, and it's the same thing. We have, you know, you could be a banking law guy and specialize in the internet piece. You could be a libel guy and specialize in online libel. 
You, you know, lots of different things you could be, but you have to master a subject first. And then you might also specialize in the Internet piece of that subject. But the Internet is now so pervasive, so built into so many things we do, whether it's logistics or liable um, or anything else, that to claim that you're Internet first would mean you need to know everything else. Right. And that isn't practical anymore. And I, I held myself out as an Internet lawyer for almost a decade when it was still plausible to do so. It isn't. Now I focus primarily on Internet privacy and an ICANN. Um, those are just two little pieces of the thing because I can be you know, specialized enough to, to keep up. Um, so that's why I don't want to internet. If want to learn more about you or, or the school, where should they go? Well, if they want to learn about me, I have a personal web page with an interesting uh, URL. It's law.tm, like trademark. No.com, just law.tm. Um, and the school is at law.miami.edu. Great. And now, what, where are you speaking next? Well, I'm going to be speaking at the We Robots Conference, which is something I founded and, and run, which is going to be held here at the end of next week. And this will be our third annual event. We, we alternate between coasts. So last year, the first one was, in my, was at Coral Gable two years ago. We went to Stanford last year. We're back here. We're going to the University of Washington next year. Um, and this is the leading conference on some law and policy relating to robotics in the United States. Great. And I've got a paper on self-defense against robots. Interesting. Well, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us. And again, um, kudos to all the great work you're doing down there in Miami. Um, I'm so, unfortunately, I have a robot I'm about to claim my microphone. So um, we have to <laughs> sign off. But I want to thank you again. If it threatens your wanna... body, you have a right to fight back. <laughs> I'll tell that to my producer. Um, anyhow, thank you again, and thank you all to our listeners um, for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, this is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica, California, signing off. Have a great week, and hopefully you recover from the brackets um, over the weekend. Talk to you later, and see you next week. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.